0: Why don't you get your Bible and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and Genesis chapter 2. And uh, we are in a series called You Asked For It. And this is the series where I'm taking questions um, and ideas, topics, and statements that you submitted to us, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them, and we sorted through. And now I am actually building messages that are hopefully going to answer as many of your questions as I can. And so we have Already talked about some 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 good topics that need to be talked about, and today I'm going to be talking about Christians and sex, Christians and sex, and I made the other services swear that they wouldn't put anything on social media so that you were not uh, prepared for our time together this morning, and so um, but I want to talk about this. Most of the questions. A large part, probably a majority of questions we had were about uh, divorce, remarriage, marriage relationships, and sex and sexuality and i don 't know that that really shocks me if you just watch TV or the news i don 't know that that should really be that shocking, but i think it 's very important that we have uh, we, that we understand the Bible speaks to all the issues of life and that we have a biblical worldview I think that 's what 's really um, in debate nowadays is that god 's word is sure and it 's true. And it speaks to the issues of life. And we need to know, especially as believers, we need to know what the Word of God says concerning these issues. And I, I think, I've, for me, I've noticed that even in the church, um, there's confusion. And there was confusion in the New Testament. In fact, uh, when you look at First Corinthians chapter 7, it says this. Verse 1, it says, Now, regarding the questions you asked in your letter, and so I just want to say real quickly, because, you know, if if people say, well you know, um, for the pastor to ask the the people for ideas, for topics, that's not very spiritual, that's not led of the Holy Spirit, well, then you need to know that's how most of the New Testament was written. (laughs) And so it may not be inspiration to you, but it was inspiration enough to God and the Holy Spirit, because even the letters of 1st and 2nd Corinthians are all about Paul answering questions that the church that he had helped start asked him. Many times Jesus was answering questions. So really what we're doing is, is exactly what they did in biblical time. And so, and so now it says, now regarding the questions you ask in your letter, it says, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. Uh, time out. You need to know Paul was single. <laughs> Some of you will get that this afternoon. But anyways, uh, verse 2 says, but because there is so much sexual immorality, it must be in America. Uh, because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and his wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. Time out. Let me just speak to this really quickly for married couples. Um, you need to understand that, that, that both men and women have sexual needs. Wives have sexual needs uh, and men have sexual needs. And you need to understand that they usually don't match in frequency or desire, Okay. I think it's safe to say that and sometimes people get confused and they're not sure if you're normal. Let me help you out. Um, Most all of marriages... At one time or another, and sometimes it can change, but most all of marriages it's very normal for one person maybe to desire one spouse to desire sex more than the other spouse. In fact, they say about sixty-five percent of marriages the husband desires sex more than his wife, but about thirty-five percent of the time the wife desires sex more than than the husband. And so you need to understand as a married couple, men typically peak, you know, in their eighteen to twenty year old somewhere in, in there. Women more peak in their thirties, and so. It is completely common if you don't have matching libidos, okay? That's what I'm trying to say. And so you need to understand, though, that husbands and wives, everybody has sexual needs. It's the way God made us, and he made us to get those sexual needs met in the context a marriage, and so you may need to have discussions about this. If you if you're the spouse that feels like that you desire sex more, then then you know maybe you need to communicate that in, in a loving way and understand you're communicating it to someone that maybe desires sex a little bit less, and that doesn't mean they don't love you or they don't care about you. That's not what that means at all. You know, there's a great book written uh, more for men, but it was called you know Sex Starts at the Breakfast Table, um, at the table, not on the table, guys. And so. <laughs> Um, So you need to understand that. And, And what they were saying is that, hey, if you're desiring sex, hey, have a conversation. Say, hey. This is what I'm desiring, you know, and it's not uncommon for for marriages to say, well, hey, Thursday night is our time to be together. And that's when we're and and if you have conversations, then you can both meet each other's needs in a way that is helpful. Marriage works when we serve one another. And that's the same way that sex works in marriage. When we approach it, uh, sex with our spouse uh, to be a servant, to serve one another and to help meet their needs. And so um, is everyone still breathing? Verse four says, then the wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. And this is not about domination. This is about mutual submission and love. Verse five, do not deprive each other of sexual relations. There's probably some people saying, amen, unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say, that, say this as a concession, not as a command. In other words, hey, this is just good godly wisdom. It's not a command. But I wish everyone were single. Here's Paul. You know, He has a gift of singleness, he says, just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. And I think Paul had a gift of singleness, and I think people have a gift. That's not a subculture. That's a superculture. In other words, they know God's called them to a life where they're going to be um, where they 're not going to be married they 're not going to engage in sexual activity, and they 're going to give themselves to the purposes of God and I do think that 's a gift and for the rest of us, then our gift is hey we, we want to be married and so I think paul 's given some good wisdom to a church that had asked some good questions. I want to go now to Genesis chapter two verse twenty one and I think this is where God uh, kind of sex uh, sets sex in motion i 've been tongue tied all weekend, but this is where I think God kind of initiates the sexual relationship and and creates it and condones it, all of that together. Genesis 2.21, it says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said this at last. And the reason he said at last is because Adam had named all the creatures, you know, and all the animals. And God said, hey, name everything. And if you find something that works for you, hang on to it. And, and Adam's like, I've named all the creatures, but there wasn't a, a helper. There wasn't a mate for me. And so God makes Eve. And that's when Adam says, oh, at last, at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cling to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I'm going to give you some points and answer some questions. And so if you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. And if you're not taking notes, your spouse will write it down and they'll probably talk to you about it later. Um, but the first thing that, that I want to talk about uh, and the first thing you can write down is that sex was created by God. And I think it's very important in the culture in which we live. This seems to be forgotten. In fact, in the culture in which we live, there is like this huge I feel like agenda to separate sexuality and spirituality and to separate sex from God. And you need to understand God made sex and God made sex before the fall. You need to understand that when God created man and woman in this place called Eden, and it was a paradise that God saw sex as a part of this. And he saw that as a good part. You know, when I grew up in in church and they didn't talk a lot about sex or sexuality Um about the only thing we would hear is about once a year at youth camp, somebody would get up and say, Listen to me, sex is bad, it's dirty, save it for the one you love. You know, and you're like Okay. Seems weird, but (laughs) And, and so there wasn't this explanation that sex is good. God created it. He created it to be in the right context, but God created it and when he saw a world, he saw a world where there was sexual relationships between husband and wife and God wanted that. That's what he wanted and God made that. And you need to understand that was his perfect plan that Satan didn't create sex, that man didn't create sex. That God created sex. I think it's true that Satan always perverts the things of God, and man is always given to his desires and led astray, the Bible says, by his own desires. But God created sex, and God thought that sex was good, and God intended sex to be good between a husband and a wife. God made sex for mankind. God made sex for Adam and Eve. God made sex for his kids. He He made sex. God's been there. If you're a husband or a wife, God's been there every time you've had sex, and God thinks it's a good thing. God's okay with it. God's happy. He's Listen, if you have a view of God today where he has a a scowl on his face or a frown or he's angry, then you don't even know what God looks like. God is happy. Dallas Willer, the, the author, once said this. He said, God has to be the most joyous being that's ever existed because with one glance, he can view the totality of all his creation and how good it is that God's happy. He is happy, happy, happy. And he didn't understand that God created sex and he saw that it was good, and God created sex for mankind. In fact, Proverbs 5:19 says this: a lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. That doesn't sound like God's a fuddy dud to me. Right? Kind of sounds like God's kind of saying, Hey, this is for you. Like I, I did this for you. Are you are you with me? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> F of oh my god, what's that boy talking about? <laughs> it's what it feels like right now. I just want to say. I, I wanted to preach this sermon with a GoPro in my head attached to the screens <laughs> so that you could see the weird glances and awkward squirms that I see. Um, <laughs> So you need to understand that sex was created by God. Here's the second thing: sex was created for a purpose. It was created for a purpose. Genesis two twenty four. It says, you know, the husband, a man will leave his father and mother and, be, and hold fast to his wife. Watch this. And it says, and and they will become one flesh. That's a, a direct reference to sex. They will become one flesh. Sex is how you become one. That that is the reference uh, there. And so you need to understand that God made sex on purpose for a purpose. In fact, I'll give you three purposes for sex three reasons God made sex. Number one is bonding. God made sex to bond a husband and a wife. That's how they become. Listen, when when you get married, you stand before God at an altar and you make a covenant. And that covenant is not what makes you one. That covenant is the commitment to hold sacred this relationship. But it's the consummation that causes you to become one. Sex is what knits you together, not the altar. The altar is where you stand before God and say, hey, we're going to treat this sacred, and we're in a covenant with each other, and then now we're going to the wedding bed, and this is where we're going to become one. You, you need to understand that that's, that's the order that God has prescribed. And so sex was created to bond us together. When when a husband and wife are together skin to skin, there are bonding hormones and chemicals in their bodies that are released. For women, it's more the oxytocin. For men, it's more the vasopressin. But these are bonding hormones that cause us to knit together kind of at the level of our soul. In other words, to emotionally bond and, and kind of stick together, to attach to one another. It's God made us that way. In fact, uh, for, for women, when they hold their newborn for the first time, uh, and they hold that baby on their chest the, the 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 baby's head actually releases oxytocin and this is the same thing that that bonds a mom to the baby this is why women can 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 just go through childbirth which I've never gone through but Julie has but I've never gone through it but it's it's not the the most pain-free experience and they can go through childbirth and and if it were a guy we'd be like I'm out on this deal like I will never Like, the reason guys don't have babies because the first guy that had a baby would go to the golf course and tell all the guys how bad it was. They'd be like, I ain't doing that. (laughs) But women can have a baby, and then they they get that oxytocin from that baby, and it causes them to forget the pain and to bond with the baby. They think, well, I could do this again. Man, this baby's just so sweet and so kind and so wonderful. And So so God created sex, and he created it with these chemicals and hormones that are released uh, so that so that we bond. Whatever we're beholding at the moment of sexual release, we attach to, bond to, and crave. It's the way way that God made us. And so you need to understand that that attachment and that bonding is spirit, soul, and body, not just body. And this is where culture has it wrong because they teach sex or or they, they make it seem like sex is just about your body. And and you can have casual sex and a friend with a benefit and all these other things where it's, well, we're bored. We're friends. We're not really committed. Don't need to be committed. Hey, but we can both feel better. And, And so you have these casual encounters because culture has convinced us that sex is just an act of the body. But God designed sex, not culture. God created sex and God has the owner's manual of how it works and what it's for. And listen, I'll tell you one of my pet peeves as a pastor living in the culture in which we live. Is it amazes me how many people think they know more than God when God created everything. And, and I'll just even limit that. How many believers think they know more than God and God created everything? Right? And, and so God has the owners, manual. He knows, he knows how it works. Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 6:16, 6, he says, there is more to sex than mere skin on skin. Watch this. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in Scripture, the two will become one. Do you see what he's saying? He said, hey, sex involves your spirit. Uh, Pastor Jimmy Evans from Marriage Today says it this way. He says, your sexual organs are connected to your spirit, and you can't disconnect them. It's the way God made it. it. This is about bonding, and God made husband and wife to be able to bond together, and sex was the act that help them bond together or causes them to bond together. And so sex is more about spirit and about soul than just about body. And you can't change it because it's the way that God made it. You can't separate spirituality and sexuality. They are both sacred as far as God's concerned. Your spirit is sacred and your sex is sacred. And you can't separate the two. In fact, the verse we just read, I'll read it in a different version because Paul was talking to the Corinthians and the Corinthians had some sexual issues. You know what I'm saying? Like if you've like well, for instance, the Corinthians had in leadership uh, a young man who was sleeping with his uh, with his stepmother, and and Paul had to say, hey, we can't do that in church leadership. <laughs> so they had some issues. The two biggest problems with the Corinthian church was materialism and sexual, sexuality. Hmm, sounds like America. So. So Paul writes this, and, and here was one of the problems is people were on their way to church and they would sleep with a temple prostitute and then go to worship. And that seems weird to us because prostitutes have a different kind of context. Back then uh, in temple prostitutes, it was this, this big spiritual experience and all this kind of thing. And, and so they would, have, they would have sex with a temple prostitute and then they would go to church. And Paul has to say, hey, don't you know that if you've joined yourself to a prostitute, The prostitute becomes one with your body. Don't you know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? Here's what Paul's saying. Sex does what God created sex to do, whether you're in a covenant relationship or not. It's not just a physical act of the body. It is spiritual mystery where you are knit together, body, soul, and spirit. And he's saying just because you're not married doesn't mean you didn't become one with her when you slept with her. Like, Paul's trying to help them. Like, hey, church people, what works for the world is not my plan. You, if you're believers, you've got to come back to my plan. You've got to understand my truth, and you have to understand the way I designed this and the way that I created it and what it's intent and purpose for and how it works. Otherwise, you will mess yourself up. Amen, Pastor. Thank you, I <laughs> just. Some of you are just scared to move, and that's okay. <laughs> but here's what Paul says: saying. He said, hey, listen, listen. Sex does what sex does, whether you're inside a covenant or not, but it was created to make a covenant and then go to the wedding bed and have sex and be bound together, husband and wife. Um, this is why in Freedom Ministry a lot of times we talk about soul ties because sex will knit your soul to whoever you have sex with. That's what Paul's saying about these prostitutes. Like, Just because it's over and you go on to church doesn't mean you didn't become one with them. Um, have you ever stuck duct tape to the carpet? By the way, this has a lot to do with sex. Duct tape and carpet. But don't take that the wrong way. But, but if you stick duct tape to a piece of carpet, it's stuck, right? Because duct tape can stick to anything. But if you peel it up, you're going to find sticky residue on the carpet and carpet fibers on the duct tape, right? Well, what happens if you then go to a different piece of carpet and stick it there? And then you peel it up again, a little bit easier to peel up. And by the time you do that about four or five times, you've got all types of sticky residue on all types of carpet and all types of carpet fibers on this duct tape. But you know the sad thing is the duct tape won't stick anymore. It's called soul ties. And the reason what's bad is people engage in all these different relationships and sexual encounters outside of marriage. And then they find somebody they love and they can't seem to bond. Why? You got too many people in the way. The pattern's full, Ghost Rider. <laughs> Top Gun reference. <laughs> right? And what is it? It's all the soul ties. You've been knit together and torn apart and knit together and torn apart and knit together and torn apart right? And now you're broken. Because sex does what, what sex does because God designed it to do that. And that's why Paul says every other sin is outside the body, but sex is a, a sin against your own body. In other words, it's, it's going to hurt your body. It's going to hurt you. And so you need to understand it's created for the purpose of bonding husband and wife Together, here's second purpose is created for, procreation. God's a creator, and we were created in the image of God, and God created us to create along with him. That's why your mom growing up used to get mad and say, I'm going to kill you and make another one just like you. <laughs> Can't say that any nowadays. You get life in prison without parole. But, um, <clears throat> but, um, but, but God gave us the power. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God's a family man. He's a father. He loves having kids and grandkids. So God gave us sex so we could multiply. The third thing God gave us sex for was pleasure, believe it or not. God saw that it was good. He created sex to be a pleasurable experience. Sex was supposed to be fun and enjoyable for husband and wife. It wasn't just for the idea of procreation. It wasn't just for the concept of bonding. But it was also supposed to be uh, pleasurable. In fact, Song of Solomon 4.16 says, Awake, north wind. Come south wind, blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choicest fruits. This, by the way, he's, they're not talking about fig trees and pear trees and tomato plants. That's not what this is a reference to. This is a reference to a sexual encounter. And this is this is in the word of God is saying, hey... Come and enjoy this garden. Come and enjoy His choices, fruits. In other words, God, the Bible says that God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. God's a super fun guy. He's fun to hang out with, and He's created a lot of fun stuff for us. And it's no different when it comes to sex, that God created sex to be fun and enjoyable and pleasurable. But the enemy works so hard to convince us that Christian sex, in other words, sex between a couple that are in a covenant is boring and no fun. It's a, it's a missionary-style uh, uh, encounter about once every other month, and that's about it. Dear God, Ethel, what did he just say? <laughs> and so the enemy works really hard to convince us that 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 for Christians... Sex isn't fun. He says, hey, if you want to have fun sex, if you want to have good sex, you've got to come to my side of town. You, got to, you, got, you can't do that inside. Like, that's boring. That's archaic. One man committed to one woman and them having sex. Like, you only want to have sex with one person the rest of your life? And he will convince people, and he's doing such a great job of it. Um, I'll give you one of the questions I was asked uh, in this series, and I'm just gonna repeat the questions it was asked to me so that you'll know I didn't make it up. <laughs> but the question that, that I got, and there were a lot of questions, and this is not an uncommon question, but the question was Is kinky sex okay in marriage? Of course, for me, I'm like, I don't know, kinky is a relative term. Like, you know, if kinky is, we're gonna invite the neighbors, that's not okay. <laughs> That's not what we do, you know. Um, But I'll say this, and this is what I would tell um, any married couple, is when you're talking about sexual activity that you want to engage in, number one, is, is, does it go against Scripture? In other words, if you're inviting the neighbor, if you're introducing another person, if you're introducing pornography or something like that, that that doesn't work, right? But outside of that, you know, as long as it doesn't violate Scripture, um, if it's consensual, in other words, you, you need to both agree to it, don't come home with bungee cords and weird apparatuses and stuff if you hadn't talked to somebody. Um, you know, is it safe? And, and will it enhance your relationship? Like, I, I, think that, I think that, you know, if I was counseling anybody, I'd say, hey, that's the thing. If it's not violating Scripture, if you're both talking about it you're in agreement, if it's safe, if you feel like it's enhancing your relationship then, then I, I think that's okay. I have a friend who's a, a licensed sex therapist. She's a Christian counselor, but she's a, a Christian licensed sex therapist. And I can tell you, she would say the same thing. She would say, hey, listen, if, you, if, you, if you're married and you agree to it and everybody's happy with it, then yeah, try it, you know, and then talk about it afterwards and see if that's something you want to do again or not. I, I think here's the thing. Satan tries to make it sound like Christian sex is this little bitty sandbox when God actually created it to be this huge playground. I mean, there's trampolines and slip and slides and all types of stuff. (laughs) But listen to me very carefully. He created this huge playground, but he put a big fence, put a big fence around it because he wants it to be fun, but he wants it to be safe. And so God put this big fence around. it. He said, hey, this is a man and a woman who are in a covenant relationship. There's the fence. Because trust me, I've counseled with a lot of people. You take that fence down, you introduce another person, however you may introduce them whether that was consensual or not consensual, you introduced pornography, you introduced some of these. And I'm telling you, there's monsters in your playground now. And so God said, Hey, I want this to be pure fun, pure enjoyment, pure excitement. And so I've got a There's a big playground, right? But it's got a high fence. So it's kinky sex. Okay. Here's, here's what I'd say. Listen, I think God's a, a good God who, who created this to be a pleasurable experience. And he enjoys watching his kids have fun. And I don't think that's weird or perverted. I think God created sex for mankind and saw that it was good and he wants you to have fun. It's a big playground with a high fence. So I guess what I'm saying is, hey, go get your Batman costume and have some fun. (laughs) So, So sex was created by God and sex was created for the purpose, for the purpose of bonding and for the purpose of procreation, but for the purpose of, of pleasure. And here's the last thing. Sex was created only for marriage. It was created, listen to me very carefully. Um, the Bible is is clear on this. God is clear on this. God, God said it this way. He said, therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two will become one flesh. God created, God created sex, but he created it just for marriage because that's where, listen to me very carefully. The only place sex will not perpetuate brokenness is in the covenant of marriage. I can tell you this as a pastor who's counseled many people. I can tell you if you read studies, the world may not admit it, but let me tell you the truth. The only place that sex will not create brokenness is in the covenant of marriage. Anything outside of that and you're going to get brokenness. When they talked to Jesus about sexual um, immorality, Jesus said this. He said, hey, from the beginning, God created man and female and the two became one flesh. In other words, he kind of said, here's the box where sex works. A man in a covenant relationship with a woman, married men and women, that's, there's your box, there's your playground, there's where everything is safe. And anything outside of that is going to cause brokenness. Anything outside of that is going is to release monsters into places uh, that you don't want monsters. In other words, sex outside of marriage always creates brokenness. We read a moment ago, uh, 1 Corinthians 6.16, it says there's more to sex than skin on skin. It's as much uh, spiritual mystery as physical fact. Um, but it says the two become one. And then it says, since we want to become spiritually one with the master, watch this, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy. Why not? Why wouldn't we pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy? Because it leaves us more lonely than ever. Because it's the kind of sex where we never become one, and that's what it's created for. Here's what, here's what the Bible says. Here's what Paul says. Here's what God says. Is that when you when you have sex Outside of the covenant of marriage, it's going to create brokenness. In fact, you know we're talking about what 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 science tells us is not even the Bible, but science tells us this. I mean, it's what the way God created. But it it says at the at the point of sexual release, whatever you're beholding is what you attach to, bond to, and crave. That's the way that God made sex. And so there's this emotional learning and this emotional connection that you get through having sex with each other. And that's important because that happens even if you're not married. In fact, here's research from a secular study. They uh, studied a group of young men, teenage and young adult boys, and teenage and young adult girls and who, who engaged in sex but were not married. Here's what they found. 66% of the boys or young men who And they almost all of them admitted, hey, I initiated the sex. I was the one pushing her to have sex. And girls, you might want to listen to this. They were pushing or pursuing sex with their, with their girlfriend. And as soon as they had sex, 66% of them immediately felt they couldn't trust her anymore. These are not Christians. This is not focused on the family. This is just a secular study. With young men who didn't claim to be Christians, pursuing sex with their girlfriends, and as soon as they had sex, they thought, I don't know if I can trust her anymore. Right? Um, with the girls, 82% of the girls immediately felt insecure and became more possessive and more controlling. Well, that's what every young man wants to date. <laughs> but what happened? It's it's supposed to, like, sex inside a marriage, um, both both spouses feel desired and and believe it or not guys want to feel desired, right? I mean you take a guy and 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 a husband and he has sex with his wife, well he feels desired and he feels like, well I can go take over the world now. Praise God, I'm a hunk. (laughs) Right? But then you take the female, she's like, oh I feel loved and I feel safe, I feel secure, I feel desired, and so I'm at peace and I can go take over the world. It's a little bit different, but the result is the same. It's a, a mutually beneficial an enriching experience even for moving out into life and into calling into purpose and and all of those things. But you do it outside of marriage and immediately fear enters. Well, when when Romans 8 is talking, it says, hey, we didn't receive fear to bondage. We received the spirit of adoption. So here's what you have in marriage. You have, hey, we're God's kids and God loves us and God made sex and God made sex for us and we engage in sex and we're sons and daughters of the king. And we're at peace and all is good. Outside of that, hey, I'm scared, fear, I'm insecure. I'm not sure I can trust her. I'm afraid he's going to leave me. And now you have this brokenness. Are you with me? By the way, they also did a, another, some more research and studies show that couples who are living together or sexually active admit they don't feel satisfied or fulfilled. While 82% of married couples say they feel very satisfied and very fulfilled. And again, that's not a Christian study. That's just people, not believers and unbelievers. That's just people. You know, as a pastor, I've sat with a lot of people, and Julie and I, in fact, heard a lot of stories. We've sat with a lot of people, good people, wonderful people, beautiful people who have made really bad mistakes, really bad choices, or even had bad things done to them that wasn't their choice. And, and I can tell you things that I have never heard. I've pastored teenagers, I've pastored single adults, and and I've pastored, been an associate pastor and been a senior pastor. I can tell you, in all those experiences, let me give you some things that I have never heard anyone say. I have never heard anyone say, I'm really glad I had that one-night stand. I've never heard anyone say, I'm so glad I slept with all those people. I've never heard anyone say, I'm really glad I had that affair. I've never heard anyone say, I'm really glad that I was looking at pornography, I've never heard anyone say, I'm really glad I lost my virginity before I got married. I've never heard anyone say, I'm really glad that I contracted that STD. And I've never heard anyone say, you know, sleeping around with a lot of different people really helped me be satisfied and more fulfilled. I've heard the opposite of all those. I've heard, man, I really regret looking at pornography. I really regret that one night stand. I really regret that affair. It's devastated me, it's devastated our family, it's devastated my spouse. I really regret these poor sexual choices. Now, I've heard that a lot, but I've never heard anyone say, "Oh, I'm so glad I did this. And, you know what I have heard? I have heard, man, I really regret these poor decisions. I really regret sleeping around. I really regret the one-night stand. I really regret um, losing my virginity. I've, I've heard all of that. I've also heard, you know what? I'm so glad I waited. I'm so glad we waited till we were married. Now, I've heard that too. And that's a joyous thing to hear when you're officiating a wedding, by the way. It's a beautiful thing to hear. And I'm just telling you that sex outside of marriage creates brokenness. I want you to understand something. The Bible says that God restores the soul. And I want you to understand if you've made poor decisions... Sexual decisions, sexuality, where all that's concerned. If you've made poor decisions, you need to understand that the Bible says we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us of all sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That the Bible says that he restores our soul. And if, if you've been engaged in sexual activity, you can repent to God. You can ask God to break those soul ties with those people. You can ask God to restore your soul. And the Bible says he will make all things new. There is always hope where God is concerned, but you need to change the way you live and let God restore you. I want to answer a couple of questions. They're not easy questions, but we got enough frequency on them that I wanted to answer them. The first one, we had several questions about pornography. And one of the questions says, what do we do about porn? It seems to be on the rise with young adults. Well, the church is not doing really well where pornography is concerned because there's such an onslaught about it. And because most churches we all hide our brokenness and act holy You know, one day a week and then go deal with our brokenness by ourselves because of shame and condemnation and guilt, and that's what's wrong with the church. The church should be the place where you walk in and say, man, I'm screwed up. Me too, praise God, let's win together. That should be how the church is. Um, And so uh, the church, I I heard a pastor one time, it really upset me uh, because he actually put it out on social media. He said, uh, real men don't use porn. And um, after... After my anger had subsided, I didn't respond. That was self-control. It was a fruit of the Spirit, and I felt very holy. Um, but I thought, you know, I've never seen shame bring righteousness. In fact, if you understand pornographic addiction, you can't be, you can't be trapped in it without shame. So shaming someone that's trapped by shame, it, there's no way they... I thought, man, if, if I was in his church, there's no way I'd admit that I am struggling with that now. I can't tell you how many men come into my office, sit down, and they're looking at the floor. Pastor, I need to confess. I'm addicted to pornography. And they're waiting on me, and I say, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry you're trapped, and I'm sorry that you're doing it alone, and I'm sorry that you felt like you couldn't tell anybody, and you need to know that this church is going to help you win. God's not scared of pornography addiction. I'm not scared of pornography addiction, and you can and you will win, and I'll help you, and that's the way the church is supposed to be. Uh, and so I just want to say people say well it's on a rise with the teenagers uh, pornographic addiction is the fastest growing addiction among sen- senior citizens so it's not just young people and the problem is now is you know back, back in the day there was you know like pornographic magazines or videos and they weren't, they weren't easy to get but now we put it in everybody's hand wow. you don't have to be legal age to have pornography we'll just put it in your hand isn't that kind of interesting? You've got to be a certain age to buy a pornographic magazine at a gas station, but we don't mind putting it in your hand. By the way, parents, uh, most, most uh, children are introduced to Internet pornography by the time they're between ages 8 and 10. You know, about the time we buy them a phone, give them a tablet, give them an iPod. And so you need to, as a family, probably figure out what your strategy is for keeping your family safe. I remember it's a couple of years ago with my youngest son, I had a conversation with him, because you can have age-appropriate conversations. And it's fun to have them before they're shame, before they really think, oh, this stuff we don't talk about. Because when they're younger, they'll just tell you anything. <laughs> and and I remember pulling him aside and said, hey, buddy. You know, you're going to be going to school and I know kids have devices and stuff. And I just want you to know that, you know, the way God intended is that that God didn't ever want us to see anyone without clothes on except the person we married. That's that was God's perfect plan. And that's what keeps it the way God wants it. And and when we see people without clothes on that we're not married to it, it really hurts us and it hurts God and it can hurt them. And I said, so if someone tries to show you an image, you can just tell them, no, dad's already told you all about it. But if you're curious about anything, I want you to come and talk to me. In fact, if anybody tries to show you an image or if you see an image or you find an image accidentally, I want you to come talk to dad about it uh, so that I can help you understand so that, so that dad can lead you in the right way. And from time to time, I'll check in with, hey, you seen anything? Anybody try? No, dad, I'm good. <laughs> Now, the conversation gets different as you grow up. But uh, by the way, there's accountability software our family uses. It's called Accountable to Use, $9 a month for every device in your family. And it's not a filtering system. Filters are good. Sometimes they fail. But uh, it's a system that, that logs all the activity. If there's anything questionable, it sends a, a text message to the parent. And uh, in fact, I, I use it myself. There's a pastor friend of mine that's, one, that's my partner on it. And the other day, uh, he called me laughing. I said, what is it? He said, uh, well, apparently you're buying ammunition. And I said, yeah, why? And he said, well, because he, there's an ammunition called Hornady. <laughs> And he, he laughed. He said, I got a text. And he said, so I pulled up what you were doing. And he's like, oh, he's just buying ammunition, you know, but it was Hornady ammunition. And so it tagged it. But anyways, it, it keeps you safe. Here, here's, what, here's what we need to understand is that God created sex and sex is a huge chemical reaction in our bodies. Like, we, we, we start off with these kind of natural opiates, these natural drugs of dopamine, like the excitement of, hey, we're going to have sex. And, and, and as things get going, we're getting these dopamine releases. And that's, I mean, it's a drug, essentially. Uh, that's why pornography addiction is so dangerous. The drug's inside of you, it's a process addiction. Pornography addiction is not about sexual organs, it's about the brain. Sec- all sexual addiction is a brain issue. Not a sex issue. People don't know this, and that's why the church has done a bad job. But but what happens is, uh, like I said, when when a person, you know, has sex, dopamine is released in the region of the brain responsible for emotional learning, right? And then it triggers the release of oxytocin and vasopressin, just like we we were talking about bonding hormones. That gives people gives the the husband and wife sexual pleasure and the body releases all these natural endorphins and opiates that create a high and after a se- after sexual release serotonin levels also change bringing calm and relaxation. Now if you're married that's a great experience like you kind of get this high and you get this excitement and you get this bonding experience and then everything's calm like ooh life is good. <laughs> but what happens when you introduce something unnatural like pornography? Well, when you introduce something unnatural like pornography your brain actually begins to bond to pornographic experiences you create new neuro pathways different than what your brain was created to have and your brain remembers where the sexual highs were experienced the unnatural highs and each time you desire sexual stimulation or you can be triggered Uh, most any addiction is always a medication so pornographic addiction is always tied to woundedness. It's always tied to brokenness. It's, it's not that people sit down and say, hey, I want to become a porn addict. I've never counseled with one person, male or female, that said, hey, one day I just woke up and said, I'd like to be a porn addict today. That's not at all what happened. They were broken, and that became the medication. And so, um, so, so what happens is, each time you are triggered or, or, or stimulated, you're drawn back now to a pornographic experience, And it gives the brain an unnatural high. You know, used to back in the day, somebody had to find a magazine or something like that. Now, um, there's as many images as fast as you can click right in your hand. And the problem is with every click, there's a new dopamine shot. By the way, this is why you actually get addicted to social media and tech. Do you know just getting a text message gives you a shot of dopamine in your brain? And people say, man, they're, they're talking now about kids being addicted. They are addicted to their phones. Every time they get a text, every time somebody likes a tweet, every time it pops up and says so-and-so commented, it's a dopamine hit to the brain. It's a drug, right? So that's why we tweet more. That's why I'm not tweeting. <laughs> like, I don't want to be addicted. So, um, but you need to understand that. And so the problem is, as fast as you click, you get dopamine shots, and what happens is you actually fatigue your brain, You wear it, it it like gets tired. By the way, they did a research study with lab rats and dopamine was the reward for behavior. And so if they hit a certain button, they got a shot of dopamine, but they had other buttons that gave them certain things. And all the rats overdosed. They killed themselves with dopamine because it's that powerful. And it's inside of you, it's there. It's the way God intended. God made it for a particular purpose. And so what happens is you fatigue your brain and then the the experience you had last time is not enough to get the same high and you have to increase whether it's the time or the novelty or the idea. And that's why people a lot of times then will move from pornographic addiction into sexual addiction because they can't get high anymore with pornography and now they've got to find something else to get that same high. It's It's a really... It's a really dangerous thing. By the way, this is why now there's a a rising up, an issue, if you will, there's an issue of erectile dysfunction with young adult men. And a lot of them are getting married and finding out, oh, it doesn't work because they've they've been involved in so much pornographic addiction and their brain has been rewired that now when you give them what God wanted them to have, it's not stimulating enough to actually excite them, to get the dopamine levels and all moving, get all the chemicals working in their body. Uh, I want to show you a picture. This is a picture just so you understand. Here's a brain with normal activity. In the middle, you know, people say, don't do drugs. This is a brain on heroin. You can see the holes in the prefrontal cortex. But right next to it is a brain of someone addicted to pornography. By the way, this is science. This isn't... um, this is from the Conquer series, which is a great series, and it is faith-based, but this, the science of this is, is true no matter what. There's a lot of brain scan images. And so that's what people aren't telling, is that, hey, this isn't a natural thing, it's not a thing that goes away. A lot, most teenagers that look at pornography are either bored or curious, and then they kind of set the stage to be hooked, and then a lot of young adults think, well, when I get married, I'll stop looking at this. But the problem is they've, they've, they've attached to it. And they've created a need for it and an addiction for it. Um, that's kind of the science. Let me tell you the spiritual side. Here's how pornographic addiction works with believers. First of all, you've got to have brokenness. And as far as being a pastor, as far as I know, everyone has brokenness. I've never met one person except for Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God. Everybody else seems to have brokenness. <clears throat> and so what you need for someone to be in any type of addiction is you need brokenness. But then you need shame. And church is good at that. We don't want to own it today. Right? Church is real good about, hey, hide hide your stuff. If people found out what's really going on, you know, they'd kick you out. They wouldn't be able to help you. So you need wounding and shame and a denial structure. That's what you need to be in bondage. So you need brokenness and a medication and a shame and and a... and a denial structure and that's what it takes that's why now uh, by the way they say about 68% of men Christian men struggle with pornography about 39% of Christian women struggle with pornography and about 51% of Christian pastors struggle with pornography and as church we don't speak to it just well, don't, don't ask don't tell <laughs> get married somehow it all fixes itself it just doesn't work that way here, here's what I want you to know is that freedom comes, and here's what freedom takes. First of all, you've got to break the denial structure. And most of the time, for a lot of people, it's admitting, I'm not in control. This is why I tell guys, well, I'm not addicted. Okay, we'll go a year without it. Because, see, I'm not addicted to nicotine. I can go, I don't know, I've gone the last, God, I don't know. I think I tried to smoke a cigarette one time when I was 15. So I've gone, you know, whatever that is, about 25 years without it. That's how I know I'm not addicted to nicotine, right? Not addicted to heroin, you know, and never even had it. So, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm clear on that one. So, you know, <laughs> um, when when you're talking about addiction, to break the denial structure, first you have to be honest with yourself. Say, you know what, can I go without this? Like, can I just stop it? Because you can just stop it, stop it, right? And if you can't just stop it, then you know you have a problem. So you have to break down the denial structure. Um, Then you have to understand the cycle of your bondage, and then you have to access the wound. And and we can help you. By by the way, um, uh, don't go home and confess to your spouse that you're addicted to pornography today. Um, It's going to make you feel better. It's going to devastate them. There needs to be a plan in place. Brain scans show that that for a husband to confess pornography addiction to his wife, her brain uh, scan looks the same as a rape victim. It's highly traumatic. And so a lot of times I've seen husband go confess because it makes him feel better. Um, and because he wants to be honest, he wants to win. But the confession is, is not how you win. And so there's a time to talk about it. But if you're stuck, then talk to your life group leader or, or talk to us, let us help you. Um, <laughs> it is wisdom. I agree with that. So here's what I want you to know, though. The, the brain is plastic. We have this thing called neuroplasticity which means your brain can be rewired and healed. So once you stop any addiction, your brain will start healing itself. And so if you're sitting here and you're a guy or maybe you're a wife and you know your husband's struggling with this already and you're sitting here, oh, there's no hope. No, 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 there's hope. There's absolute hope. Uh, Your brain will start the regeneration effect of healing itself in four to six months, uh, within the first four to six months of of the pornography once you stop it once you quit looking at it, the healing starts. And so you need to know that God has an answer for everything and God can free you from anything. God has a process for everything. Uh, Most of the time when you're talking about pornographic addiction, sexual addiction, you probably need to see a counselor or see a pastor, but you probably need to get into a group and we can help you uh, because you have to destroy shame and denial to win. And so it's hard to destroy shame if you just go confess it to your pastor. <clears throat> what you have to do is you need a group and you let people put grace in at the right place. Let me answer one more question. Are you still breathing? Yes. So there's hope. Well, you won't be breathing after this one. I got several questions. <laughs> I got several questions about masturbation. And I've uh, never said that from the pulpit till last night. Um, <laughs> never thought I ever would. Um, but I think they're good questions, and, and the one that I wanted to answer was: Is masturbation okay for a single adult who wants to stay pure? And, and here's what I want to say: Is the Bible doesn't specifically say you can or you cannot masturbate. It doesn't speak to that. It does talk about self-indulgence. It does talk about sexual immorality. It does talk about fantasy. So it talks about all of those things. And you need to understand the basis of, of sex. Was sex was really something we were to give to a spouse? It wasn't just about gratifying our needs or what we could get right? That's why if you're in a relationship and they're pressuring for sex, then it may be a good question to say, hey, what's your real intention in this relationship? Are you wanting me or just my sex? Because if they can't sexually restrain themselves before you're married, guess what? So <laughs> I expected an amen, but it's maybe just <laughs> an oh me, dear God. But here's what I would say is that while it doesn't specifically speak against it, then you need to understand that God created sex and sex was supposed to be a shared experience between a husband and a wife. And the question question in particular was, will masturbation help keep me pure. I think really it's probably going to excite the wrong things and create an appetite for the wrong things uh, for a single adult. That's just my thought. I'm, you know, there again, you and Jesus can work it out. But here's what I know: is that if you if you're masturbating and fantasizing, then it's going to give you the same effects as looking at pornography. It's going to give you a little bit of a high, of whatever fantasy it is that you use or that you have in your mind and it may actually drive drive you into pornographic addiction because eventually fantasy won't be enough. I need to see an actual image and then maybe that won't be enough and then go to something else and something else. And so I think you have to be very safe with that. The question I would ask is why are you masturbating? Like why? Um, what's going on in your life? Are you stressed out? Are you triggered? Are you upset? Are you angry? Are you mad? Are you lonely? Are you depressed? I mean, what is driving that? Because typically, when you have that type of behavior or something like that, maybe something's driving it, and that's the question I would ask: Is something driving that behavior? And if something's driving that behavior, then I would start trying to figure out what's driving the behavior. You know, most of the time when you're dealing with someone if they're acting out sexually or acting out uh, with pornography or something like that, uh, usually there's a trigger. And like, for instance, if you're dealing with most of the time with Christians. Who are struggling with pornography? There's a binge and purge cycle uh, because of the shame and because they're really trying. So they don't. So what happens is they 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 crash. They look at pornography. Maybe it's a day. Maybe it's two days. Maybe they struggle with it all week and they're like, "By God, I'm going to win!" And they may go a month. You know, two weeks, three weeks, something like that. So it's a binge and then a purge. And then what happens? They get triggered and they fall right back into it. But they don't know they're being triggered. And the trigger point is usually about two weeks before the crash. And so if you keep crashing, go back two weeks and see what happened and you're probably going to find a stressor of some sort. And the stressor is what hit the wounded place in your life. And then you started wrestling with the woundedness and then you needed the medication. That would be with any addiction, by the way. Are you still breathing? Here's the thing. God designed sex. He said it's good, right? has a lot of great purposes, Really only works inside a marriage. In fact, it only works inside a marriage, but inside a marriage, put on your superhero costume and have some fun. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? <laughs>